Amen. Well, uh, let's take our Bible, head over to 1 Timothy chapter uh, number 4. Uh, we'll be there in just a second. I'll talk to you about that passage in just a second. But let me say this. Uh, we get with this youth conference, so you know, it's not this next week. Uh, it'll be the following week. So we've got about a week and a half, and that would have been teen camp. The dates haven't changed, minus that we're dropping that Friday. Um, but we have an opportunity to practice what we have been preaching in this exact class and every man that has stood up here has stood up here uh, with the idea of investing in the younger people. And so as we have an opportunity uh, to hand out ice cream, we're investing in the younger people. We're investing in the, into the kingdom of God. As we have an opportunity to help with the obstacle course or to plate pizza, that is an opportunity uh, to pour into the next generation. And so I encourage you men to be a part of it and to practice what we've been preaching and uh, to pour into that. And I know that you will. I know that you're, you're already vested tr- uh, in terms of your treasure and now I'm certain your time will come and so if you've got any time over the next week or week and a half where you can serve at the church we will put something in your hand and uh, blow the parking lot trim the trees things of that nature that we've got to get done uh, and and so forth so I want to take a moment just real quick there will only be one other speaker other than me it'll be brother uh, Tanel in just a moment but I want to take a moment and just recognize the goodness of God uh, that we have men in our church who can handle the word and uh, that is a huge blessing Um, I know that the pastor's uh, job uh, primarily is to preach the word of God and to care for the people, but I also know that it is not only the pastor's job to preach the word and to care for the people. And uh, in fact, when you look at, and you're going to be there in 1 Timothy, and that's where we're going to go for Brother Tunnell, but I want you to go with me. Keep your finger there in 1 Timothy. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 it talks about the different gifts that God has given the church. And uh, so what a privilege uh, to be able to have men uh, who over the course of the last uh, six weeks have handled the word of God and have poured into us. And I want you to realize, and I don't know if you know this, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, like you're ignorant, you just don't know, but that is not the norm across Christianity to have men in the pew who could be men in the pulpit uh, at any given time. And uh, you might notice this um, more, off, more and more often, our staff, our pastoral staff is out filling a pulpit somewhere. And uh, there are some reasons for that. Uh, but the primary reason that that happens is because there, there isn't somebody in the church who can fill that pulpit. And uh, we not only have men in the, the pulpit who are pastorally trained, we also have men who are deacons and Sunday school teachers who can and did and will in the future stand in this pulpit. And what a gift it is. It's a gift to have pastors in the church to help lead and preach, but I want you to notice there are other gifts to the church as well. And we've seen some of that over the last few weeks, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles, none of you were that, sorry, and some prophets, probably not either, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so I want to simply praise the Lord that we have men in our church who have fulfilled uh, those particular roles and have stood and preached the word of God and uh, edified my sons and edified your boys as well. And uh, what a blessing that is. And I don't say that 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 doesn't happen everywhere. And I don't say that to brag at all or to compare ourselves. I say that simply to admonish our congregation that we have been blessed uh, to have men, faithful men, uh, stand and fill in this pulpit, the men listed out in Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, what a gift that is to have. Now, let's jump over uh, to 1 Timothy chapter number 4, and I'm going to read this for you, Brother Tunnell, and I'm going to give the floor to Brother Tunnell. He's going to stay right there, and I'm going to walk down there. Uh, But the passage that's on his heart that he wanted read is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. 
And uh, do I have a young man who's willing to read that out for me? Anybody under the age of 18? Who's, Carter, will you read that out? And uh, we're at 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. Read it loud if you would, Carter. The Presbytery. Thank you. That's a hard word. All right. So we're going to have Brother Tennell speak. And as I mentioned, uh, his voice uh, from time to time will wane in and out. And uh, we're going to give our full respect and full attention. This is a man who has loved Jesus and has loved our church and has served faithfully. And uh, I'm thankful for a man who is willing to say, hey, even though I've got this disability, I still want to invest in our church. And uh, he is a man. The Bible tells us this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, I've written unto you young men because you are strong. And uh, you are the next generation that is going to be passing off in the next 15, 25 years. And uh, so you men are going, you young men are going to be the ones who stand in and step up. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're sticking to youth conference camp, uh, because we believe in that next generation and getting them while they're young, getting them while they're strong, teaching and admonishing them. And so what a blessing again to have men who are both able and willing. And uh, in the future, we will have a homiletics class, and we'd like to do more of this more often. I I've been talking to the staff about maybe every summer having different men fill the pulpit on Wednesday nights, and, and that's been a blessing, and I'd like for all of us to be able to do that. I think about what it says in Hebrews at what time you ought to have been teachers, and I believe it's God's will as we all grow in grace, we get to a place where we're teaching others also, and uh, and so maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. I don't mean that as a, as a, a poke at you. I mean that to say that when we have a homiletics class, Brother Hunter will teach the first iteration of it. I'll teach the second iteration of it. That's an opportunity. We're doing that on purpose to try to train you to handle the Word, and uh, that is going to bless our church in the long run. And so, Brother Tunnell, and uh, you kick me in the shin, my friend, and we'll try to give our full attention to Brother Tunnell. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to default to you, and then I'm going to preach in just a minute afterwards. So, Brother Tunnell, you stay seated, if you would, please. And I'll put this in your face, and you get to talk. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Well, Pastor asked me to do this several weeks ago, so I thought I had plenty of time, but I kind of didn't do it as soon as I should, so it gave me a problem. So, but I'd like to challenge you find kids to always do the best you can from day one. Yeah, because if you don't, you're the one that's going to lose out on it. But I, this morning, was looking at this and I go, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. Some of the men was with me last week ago. Oh man, I gotta just take my entire speech. That's right. And so I just decided to do something different. This one's even more close to my heart than what I was gonna do with. And what I wanna do with is talk about. You serving God in your life and not, and one of the things that the pastor asked me to do was to, to take a look at what, what I want to say and why I want to say and how, how that is going to affect you guys as you grow up. 
And that is that is serving God behind the pulpit or in front of the pulpit out on the street or, or in the in, in your home with your kids and and then knowing that God is there with you and he's going to provide all the things that you need. And First Timothy 4.11-13, I want to just read the first couple of verses. First it says, These things command and teach. Thank you, brother. But he says that he wants us to, Paul wrote this particular passage, and I was able to share that with uh, my wife and daughters this week, that Paul had no problems with teaching and preaching and following what Christ wanted them to do. And, and then leave nothing behind as a, as a happenstance because God does nothing as a happenstance. He does everything according to the Word of God. And, and so you can you can look at this as as your um, calling. And uh, verse fourteen says, "He says, commanded teach no man." Everything is falling. And no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, and in charity, in spirit, and in all the charity, and spirit, and in. So I, w I was wondering, what do you mean by that no man despise thy youth, but be there all example of the believers in word and in conversation and in charity and spirit and in truth. Forget it. I've been a preacher, so I'm going to preach as long as you give me this. Yeah. Take Mike, and he said, I'm not done. So I looked at this word despise. You know, that you despise your youth, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to tell people here? And the thing I understood very clearly was. You should not despise your youth. You need to do what God wants you to do, not what man wants you to do. 
because he can despise you, you use it as a young man and go forth and teach the men in your life and stuff. And so then, then and we're in conversation, so everything you say and everything you do and and we're in and holding a conversation with people. He wants you to be an example of the believer. And how can we do that? By simply being what God wants you to be at all times. And don't don't be afraid to to stand in in there and. One of the things that I really appreciate was the kids in my youth group that was there always helped me in in teaching the youth that was there and and so I looked at this thing and I started preaching in Skid Row Mission in, when I was 13 years of age. And I was just, thank God, because he gave me the ability to, to do it. And he still gives me the ability to do it. And so I do thank the pastor for this opportunity. And knowing that He's got my back in case I I founder, but it also says that we need to be an example. An example to our youth of today and youth of tomorrow. And there's a lot of examples in the Bible about the the people who are Do you know that David, King David, turned out to be the youngest king that there was when he took over the throne upon Saul's death, Saul's death. And so... I just thank God for the opportunity that you, He's given me, and I will just thank my brother here for his help and his love that he's shown me. My, you know, it's. I would say that I got some word today that they think that the cancer I've been battling is. is just gone away, and I praise God for that. And the pastor has been very supportive of 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 me and everything that I want to get done and and do. And I thank him for it. Okay. Get that mic on, gentlemen. Thank you. 
And uh, thank you, Brother Tennell, for that effort. And uh, that'll cost him more physically than it'll cost uh, me for preaching an entire Sunday. And I'm thankful for that expenditure. Uh, I'm challenged as well uh, in my youth uh, to recognize what, uh, what Brother Tennell would do if he had my strength. And uh, what a privilege to have the strength that I have. And uh, that's not me suggesting that I'm strong. That's me recognizing that I have some youth and uh, I've got some strength to use. And here we have a man who is using what he has left and oftentimes goes out soul winning, oftentimes joining the teenagers uh, at the rest home and uh, out there doing it until uh, he meets Jesus. And uh, what a challenge that is, what an encouragement that is. Uh, what a reminder that is that we who have some strength, measurable amounts of strength, ought to be using that for the kingdom's purpose. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Uh, let's get over to Ephesians chapter, or forgive me, forgive me Galatians chapter 5 uh, tonight, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll dive into there. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 24, and uh, I will do my very best. Um, man, I'm trying to decide if I've got the time to even preach tonight. I think I probably do, and my wife told me she's got 3,000 words in her notes tonight, which is way more than she normally does, so we'll, uh, uh, we'll give them all the time that they need, and if I cut this off, and uh, that'll be okay. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about the idea of crucifying our flesh, and uh, that's going to come out of Galatians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 24. Can I get a, um, let's go uh, a teenager to read that for me, Galatians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 24. Go ahead, Brother Peter. The Bible talks about how we who are Christ should be crucifying our flesh with all of the affections and lusts. And uh, this has been a theme that God has been working in my heart about as we've talked about dominion and uh, inside of each of us exists this fleshly nature. Uh, we saw that in the Sunday morning series um, that we had talked about uh, on Sunday morning about discipleship and how uh, in the book of Ephesians, which honestly, I feel like I couldn't get away from that book for uh, a couple of weeks. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about how we're to put off the old man and put on the new man, uh, which God created uh, for us to walk in. We're ordained to walk in good works. And uh, what a privilege that is to be able to, to walk in the spirit and to crucify our flesh. And uh, each and every one of us has a flesh and your flesh is gonna be weak in areas that maybe mine is, or maybe mine are not. Uh, some of you in this room are more prone to being discouraged, while some of you in this room are more prone toward being proud. And uh, those aren't necessarily um, uh, complete opposites, but oftentimes you're going to find that some people are going to get proud, some people are going to get uh, maybe discouraged or sidetracked. Some in this room struggle with lust more than other people. Uh, some in this room struggle with a temper uh, when maybe somebody else doesn't. Uh, some in this room uh, struggle with courage. Whatever your flesh is, the Bible's admonishment is that we would crucify it, that we would nail it to the cross. And that is both um, speaking and representative of the cross of Jesus Christ and that we can take all of our sins and lay them down at the cross and Jesus will take them. But it's also speaking, excuse me, and more literally speaking, excuse me, about the idea of uh, immobilizing and mortifying the flesh, uh, killing it, uh, stay, uh, putting it on a place that it cannot get off. And uh, maybe that's an altar. Maybe that's a prayer time that you have 
where you lay down the affections and lusts of your natural man. And uh, inside of each of us, before we were saved, we developed appetites. Uh, we walked a pathway. Uh, we, we did certain things that, man, we're not proud of. We've got a history and a past and maybe some markings to show it. Um, but here's God's expectation for us is that we would nail that to the cross, that we would lay that down, that the affections of our heart and the lusts that drive us to it, uh, that we would not return to those as a dog returns to its vomit. And uh, what a pungent and offensive picture that that is. Uh, the idea that a dog would throw up something that upset his stomach, leave. And you know how dogs are because they're nasty. They're better than cats. Uh, but a dog will come back and he will lap up that same vomit. And that is a picture of what God's people do when they return to sin, where, hey, we were saved and we were changed. And man, Jesus, he rescued us, not just from the penalty of sin, but now he rescued us and gave us the ability to walk away from sin and uh, to dwell in newness of life and the privilege that, you know, uh, it's Christ that lives in me. It's not me that lives, but, you know, my flesh is crucified. In that idea of walking away from that, oftentimes what happens, and this can happen years later, and mind you this, Satan is okay with waiting to get you to fall. And if you struggled with pornography before you were saved, man, you've been saved now, and Satan will wait. He is, he is crafty. He is careful. He'll come back. He'll circle. He'll check the door uh, like a robber will, and they'll just be persistent, and uh, he'll come back in, and he'll, he'll come back when the wife's out of town, or he'll come back after uh, some, some physical uh, issue, and you guys know what I'm saying, but Satan is, is intentional, and he'll come back. And if anger is your problem, man, you can go, I mean, years and growing in grace, and then something just flips your lid. And uh, Satan is careful and he's patient and he'll wait and he'll try to entrap us. And so God's admonishment for us is that we would crucify our flesh, that we would nail it to the cross and that we'd be able to walk away from it uh, and be able to live in that newness of life. And so Galatians chapter five, verse 25 is kind of where we're going, but here's, here's what I've got. And I, I don't have time to get all the way through it, but I'm going to try and uh, I'll just let the Lord kind of cut it off wherever he wants. Um, Galatians 5.24 is the passage I want to get to, but I found myself this week going through my notes thinking uh, every time I preach through a passage, I always read before and I always read after. That's, that's absolutely an obligation. If you're ever going to teach a passage, know actually what it's saying. Don't just pull it out of context. And so as I read about that, you know, I first off, it doesn't take you many verses before or after to kind of know exactly what's going on. But at the same time, uh, as, a, as a preacher, I want to be able to give you the, the best kind of uh, snapshot of a passage. Uh, and you say, well, why don't you give us the whole passage? Okay, well, we'll do 17 hours of church. We'll just read the entire book of Galatians. Uh, every time I preach, wait till I get to Leviticus. We'll read the entire book. Um, we really can't. And so just practically speaking, I try to give you a snapshot. And for the most part, that's going to be about three or four verses before or after. Well, as I was reading in Galatians 5, I couldn't find a good place to start because it was all just so good. You keep backing up and you're like, oh man, I want to talk about that. Oh man, I want to talk about that. And then I read past it. I'm like, oh man, I want to talk about that. And I got all the way into chapter six. And so I've got like 40 verses and like 17 minutes. And uh, so we'll try to listen through, but let me kind of start with an illustration. Um, how many of you, your wife's not here. You're not going to get in trouble. Uh, make sure that the, the live, live uh, uh, stream is up above the crowd. How many of you do not enjoy shopping uh, with your wife. I don't mean like grocery shopping. I mean like she's in Macy's. She's meandering around. Can I see a couple hands? Okay, there's a couple of you. Some of you are just scared to raise your hand. That's fine. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that may not be the case. It probably is though. Um, I'm not a huge fan of meandering in Macy's, but I'll tell you what, you take me to Bass Pro Shop, I will meander. I will go through every aisle. I will stand there and name the fish. Uh, I'm going to take the elevator up and down and the stairs. I'm going to the ammo section. I'm not buying a bass boat, but you'll find me in the bass boat section. I'm not buying a quad, but I'm going to go over there. So to say a man doesn't like shopping is just not true. Uh, we're just as bad in other ways. 
And so when we go to a store, um, we go to a store, especially if it's something we don't enjoy, we want to be in and out. We want to get what we came for, get it on the list and get out. Um, but if we enjoy it, I mean, we're going to peruse, we're going to pick up the, you know, we're going to try, we're going to see how this handgun feels in our hand. And, and we already got a shotgun. We don't need one, but I want to check out this semi-automatic one so I can waste more ammo during bird season, still not shoot anything. True story. I'm identifying right there. Um, but we're going to take our time. We're still going to, if we walked in there to go buy something, we're going to buy that thing, but we're going to touch everything else. So here's how I, this is just how my brain works, illustration-wise. Verse 24 of Galatians 5 is what we're buying, okay? That's what we're looking at. We're going to look at crucifying our heart. But there is so much else in the store of the book of Galatians, particularly chapter 5 and chapter 6, that I just want to walk the aisles with you and show you what's on the shelves. Um, What Paul is teaching us is so worth the perusing uh, effort that, again, I could have just gone to chapter uh, 5, verse 25. I think that's the verse for 24. Um, And just, man, preach through that. And honestly, for time's sake, I probably should. But I just want to show you what's there. Uh, There's so much truth tied to the idea of crucifying our flesh. There's actually a reason to crucify our flesh. It's going to show us in a minute, instead of living after the flesh, we're going to crucify our flesh so that we can fill in the blank. And so it's a powerful passage, and I just want to back up just a little bit and get started into it. We're going to start at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, so if you'll back up with me, we'll start from there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, for what's the next word? What's the second word in in, uh, verse 13? Brethren, now listen, I know that Paul is speaking to the church as a whole, but he's addressing the men in the church. And that is, uh, again, that's not what we're after. It's not on our shopping list, but the Bible's very clear that God chooses the men to lead the church. And uh, that is unarguable. It's well attested to. It's across the, the, the scope. Uh, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have places of service for ladies. And we've gone through that. We've taught entire weeks-long series on it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, Paul is addressing the brethren of the congregation. And uh, there is no doubt, again, that God called the men to lead both the home and the church. And uh, Paul is going to be driving after that, that we need men who are spiritually healthy in order to do what he's going to talk about. So Galatians Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, again, it says, For brethren, we have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, if I had to say there was a decoder for chapter 5 and 6, it's that verse right there. As we go through the rest of this idea of crucifying our flesh, what he's saying is this truth right here. Hey, we've been saved, we live in liberty, and use that freedom from sin to help and love and bless your congregation. Don't use it to serve yourself. Don't use it to come back under the law, which is a part of the reason the book of Galatians is written. And so Paul asserts that, hey, you're free from the law. You've been, you've been brought, brought under the spirit. Uh, that spirit is now uh, to guide you. And that's not gonna guide you to living after the flesh. Uh, notice again what it says. Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And Christian liberty, individual Christian soul liberty is a powerful truth uh, in the Bible that each of us are gonna answer to God for ourselves. Each of us must be saved ourselves. And each and every one of us are guided by the Holy Spirit alone by ourselves. Um, Now, again, God's not gonna guide you away from where his word commands you. And so the idea, some people use the individual soul liberty card as like the trump card for everything. Well, I answer to God for this so I can do what I want. No, the Holy Spirit didn't lead you to violate God's word. If God's word says it, there's no, there's no liberty to be had. God's word is clear. His spirit guides you into all truth, not away from all truth. And so there is no contradiction in the nature of God and the nature of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he's saying, listen, allow that spirit to guide you, yes, but don't, don't justify foolish, selfish, sinful living. Well, because I'm under grace, pastor, and uh, I'm not gonna answer to you at the judgment seat. You are right but you are going to answer. 
Understand? So yes, you are individual. You stand before God by yourself and praise God for that. And in the areas of, of maybe gray and in the areas of Christian liberty, you get to answer to God for that. You get to make decisions for your family, uh, for your wife, for your children. And no church should be able to tell you all the nitty gritty of everything you should do, wear, listen to, all of that. You have liberty before between you and God. But do not, as Paul said, use that liberty as an occasion to your own flesh, to serve yourself. Uh, in verse number 14, it says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the full measure of the law is met. That's what it means to be fulfilled. You think about a cup and it's poured in and now it's running over. And he says, the, fill, the, the filling of the law, the full measure of the law is fulfilled in that we would love, our, love God, right? We know that from Jesus' teaching. But here he's saying, hey, in that we would love our neighbor as ourself. And so we have this liberty and we're set free from, from under the law of the Old Testament. But don't use that as an occasion of the flesh, but rather love your neighbor. And the law is fulfilled in that you will love and serve your church family. And that's where he's driving. Look at verse 15. He says, but, so in contrast to that, you're, you're not going to live under the spirit, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Here's what he just said. If you guys don't walk in the spirit, but rather use the liberty and the freedom of being a saved person to kind of, well, I'm going to do what I want. And now I'm doing what I want. Jonathan's doing what he wants and what we want are opposite of each other. Boom, now we're clashing and I'm going to bite at him and he's going to bite at me. And eventually Paul says, if you don't get that under control, you will consume each other. You will eat your church alive. You will strip away the usefulness that God has in the body if you are not under control, if you are not crucifying your flesh. This is where he's driving after. Look at verse 16. This I say then, so because of the aforementioned reality, because if you don't walk in the spirit, you're going to walk after the flesh. Because if you don't walk after the spirit, you're going to bite after each other. If you bite each other, you're going to consume each other. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, listen, walk in the spirit. Christian living is, is not easy by any stretch, but as I said, I think on Sunday night, it is simple. This is the most basic uh, kind of equation you're ever going to find in the Bible. How do I conquer my sin? This seems like an oversimplification, but mind you, it's inspired by God. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pastor, I just don't understand how I keep failing in this area. You are not walking in the spirit because if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a, a fail safe. It's a guarantee. You say, but I am walking in the spirit. Well, until temptation comes. And then lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Because he made a way of escape, because God is faithful, and that he'll not allow a man to be tempted above that he is able, but God will, with that temptation, make a way of escape. And when you started getting tempted, God said, no, 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 no. And you were like, what's happening? You ceased walking in the Spirit. Because the Spirit said, run. The Spirit said, flee youthful lust. The Spirit said, uh, rebuke the devil and he'll free, flee from thee. The Spirit gave you every way out and you chose not to follow, so you ended up in sin. No one ends up in sin walking in the Spirit. Well, how did I end up in sin? You stopped walking in the Spirit. And that's where he's saying, you got to crucify your flesh. you got to nail it to a place it can't come off from. People don't come back from the cross. Praise the Lord, Jesus did. But people don't come back from the cross. That's the visual. Take it, nail it, and leave it there. Let's continue going on, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth. Oh, I love this passage. The flesh lusteth after the spirit. So the flesh goes to war against the spirit. And every man in this room knows exactly what that feels like. But here's the beautiful thing. We are not just, and listen to me, sometimes we, we get this wrong impression that, man, I'm a child of God, and man, the, the world is just coming after me, and we're going to hold the fort and wait for reinforcements. The, the, the armies of Satan are just advancing. The, 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 the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Yeah, but look, 
and the spirit against the flesh. The, the, the spirit throws punches too. The spirit makes assault as well. So we are, we're, we're not hunkered down waiting for Jesus to return. But yes, Satan is attacking, but the spirit is attacking as well. The spirit is going forth. And that's why God says, occupy till I come. It says in the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so, yes, our heart is willing to crucify the old man, right? And I think everybody in the room, in the safety of, of the, the church, are like, yes, I want to grow in my temper, and yes, I want to grow as a man, and yes, I want to have dominion over my appetite and my anger and all these areas. Our spirit's willing, and the flesh is, is, is weak, but the spirit is warring, and the, the, the flesh is warring against the spirit. And Paul says, I get it. The struggle is, is very real. But the fact of the matter is we were made conquerors. And the way that spiritual warfare looks or works, it isn't, well, you know, if there's, you know, 25, you know, evil spirits, and I know we're kind of, we're simplifying spiritual warfare, but let's just put it in numerics. There's 25 evil spirits, and if there's 26, you know, uh, you know, you know, unit powers, however we would do that, of good, then we win by one. No, listen, at the name of Jesus, Satan fails. At the invocation of your birthright as a child of God, the battle ends. It's over. It isn't a tug of war. It's a pecking order. He steps out when God steps in. The problem is we don't take the way of escape. The problem is we don't walk in the spirit. So we fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a very easy mathematical equation. If we're led of the spirit, the spirit, listen, if we're led of the spirit, it's the spirit that leads us into war. And yes, the flesh is warring against us. And yes, Satan is warring against us. But Jesus, or rather the Holy Spirit is warring as well. And if we follow him into battle, we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's going to fight for us and in front of us. Verse number 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're free. You have liberty. Verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now the word manifest, we've seen a handful of times. And um, we, we uh, likened it to the um, uh, cornhole trophy that Brother Hunter won and then lost uh, miraculous or spectacularly this last year. Brother Hunter manifests that trophy. He put it on display in his office to scorn me. And then he got beat by a teenage girl. So praise the Lord for that. Um, so anyway, so it was manifest. It was made display. Here's what the Bible's about to tell us. The works of the flesh are manifest and they are these. Should we choose not to follow the spirits leading into war? We choose not to walk in the spirit. Here is what is going to crop up in your life. We don't want these things. I promise you don't want these things. But he, he's guaranteeing, if you don't walk here, you will walk here. And the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. You see, I'm, I, I would never cheat on my wife. You will if you don't walk in the spirit. I, I promise you that. You will if you don't walk in the spirit. Because he, God said this, the works of the flesh are manifest. They will be made manifest, and they're these. Adultery, fornication. That's for all of our folks who are in here and are not married. Any form of relationship uh, that before the wedding altar. Fornication, that's what happens. Why, how, how can a teenager make it to the, the wedding altar pure? Walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Crucify your spirit, love the brethren, use your liberty as an occasion to serve one another, to follow the spirit into battle and let him do the work. But if we don't, then the works of the flesh crop up and they're manifest and they're these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That's any type of immoral action or vice. Lasciviousness, and that's just full abandon into sinful immorality, uh, unseemed behavior. Uh, this is what manifests in our life. Should we choose not to follow the spirit into battle? Should we fail to crucify our flesh? And the fact of the matter is sin doesn't stop. The list goes on in verse 20. We wish that it was just those handful, even though they're awful, but it doesn't. It goes on because that's the thing about sin, sin when it is finished. We pick how it starts, but sin takes it all the way. 
We pick to go into the affair, but sin gets to finish it. Sin gets to, to be fully manifest into death. And so keep, what it, keep reading. Sin keeps going. The manifestation of the, of the flesh is this, idolatry. I wouldn't worship a false god. You will if you walk in the flesh. Witchcraft, that's demonic participation. Hatred, variance, that's just conflict. Emulations, that's jealousy. Wrath, that's fury. Strife, that's selfish striving for advantage. Seditions, that's division. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, that's unrestrained riotous partying. And notice this, and the such like, and such like he said. So this isn't just the list, it gets, it, there's more. It's anything that relates to these things, these are manifest, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so listen, if we lose the war and the flesh starts manifesting itself in our lives, we can hide it for a while, right? One thing starts to crop up because we haven't been walking in the spirit and then, then we can isolate it and we can hide it over here, but you know how it works. It's like that, that front lawn or that garden bed or that, uh, the mulched area in your yard where, and there's one weed, there's another weed. Or it's like a cancer where it starts over here and then it moves over here and it moves over there until it takes over everything. And you saw it, there's anger and hatred and sleeping with people that aren't your wives and unrestrained lasciviousness. There's no stopping it should we choose not to walk after the spirit. But I want you to notice the contrary. Should we walk in the liberty that we have been given, but the fruit of the spirit is? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no stopping it. There's no law. There's no restraining it. It grows too. Notice our instruction in our key verse. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections thereof. You see what he said? Hey, if we follow, the, the, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. So we're not, we're not just getting beat up schoolyard style, you know, where Satan's just coming and pummeling us. No, yeah, Satan's trying to fight, but the Holy Spirit's fighting as well. And if we'll follow the spirit into war, we're gonna win that war should we choose not to. The works of the flesh will be made manifest and they are these. But if we walk in the spirit, we'll have that love, that joy, that peace, that gentleness, that long suffering, that goodness, that temperance, that meekness, that all those things, that faith. And the Bible says, and then because of that, hey, and they that are Christ's, hey, we are in Jesus. We crucify our flesh with the affections and lusts. So the things we used to love, hey, we don't love them anymore. The, the, the lusts we used to, 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 to crave and to plan for, he says, we don't, we're gonna crucify that. We're gonna set it aside. We're gonna nail it to the cross and not take it off. We're not gonna come back to that vomit. We're not gonna come back to that corpse on the cross and take it down and make it our own. No, we're gonna leave it there on the cross. And verse number five, uh, 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, he isn't suggesting that we should live in the spirit. He is asserting that we do. What he's saying is, hey, you're saved. You live in the spirit. You have the fullness and the sealing of God's spirit. And if you live in that spirit as a saved person, and that's not talking about optional, that's talking about you're, you're born into the spirit. And since you're born there, since you're a Christian, walk in the spirit. Since you've been bought by that spirit, since you've been sealed by that spirit, walk in that spirit. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And we're full circle to back where we started. Remember what he said? He said, listen, don't bite and consume. Walk in the spirit. 
Verse number 26, again, let us not be desirous of vainglory, pushing, provoking one another, envying one another, my way, I want. It's going to consume the church. It's going to consume your relationships as men. Walk in that spirit rather than doing those things. And that's what we've been shopping for. That's what we came to the store for. We'll probably have to stop there. The idea is what we walked in the store to try to put in our basket is this, that God put us in charge of our spiritual decisions that God put us, placed us in the spirit to walk in the spirit. And since you're in the spirit, walk in the spirit. And in order to walk in the spirit, you got to crucify the flesh. But then we get back to that so basic principle. How do I, how do I conquer my flesh? So how do I conquer my fill in the blank? And you're thinking of yours and I'll think of mine right now. How do I get over that? Walk in that spirit that you're sealed with and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When he says no, stop. When he says, don't go any further, don't go any further. When Satan tempts you with just simple curiosity that you know, and he knows is going to lead to some form of sin, cut it off. Do not follow into battle. You have a general, you have marching orders, you have the Holy Spirit of God, follow him and walk after his spirit. Then again, uh, Galatians chapter six, we'll probably stop. And what we'll do is Galatians chapter six, uh, we'll pick up on uh, probably Sunday night. It's an amazing passage. It it, it talks about, uh, in fact, let me grab it. It says, my brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. And so from this place, hey, sweetheart, you're all right. From this place of spiritual health, that you're following after the spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. From this place, he says then, hey, when a brother does get overtaken, here's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be falling in this area. You're not supposed to have these sins and lusts manifest in your life. But when a brother gets overtaken, I love that word. It's a word picture. Think about a runner, right? And uh, that's, you're not going to picture me, but picture somebody running and then someone overtakes them. What does that mean? Well, someone ran faster than them. Someone got in front of them. Someone started winning. They started losing. And my brother, when a man is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, the ones who haven't, who are are following their general into war and a brother gets overtaken. He gets laughed by Satan and that sin that once was his now comes back. What are we supposed to do? How do we help that person? Well, number one, we've got to be walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh ourselves. And then ye which are spiritual are going to restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering your own selves, lest you also be tempted. Because that's a real danger when someone starts to mess up or someone starts to fail. We tend to think, man, I'm running my race better than they are. The fact of the matter is, no, 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 no. By the grace of God, you stand where you stand. It's his spirit that led you into war. You're going to stop for a minute and say, let me help this person. Let me restore such an one. Let me consider my own self. Let me have some meekness about me. Not some pride that says, well, aren't you glad I'm here to rescue you? No, we're going to have some meekness and consider our own self. And, and the, the thing, this happens so often, it's heartbreaking, but it should break our heart. When we see a brother or a sister in the church fail and fall, or we go from church dis- some form of church discipline, that's an opportunity, hopefully, to restore Sometimes it doesn't work, but it's definitely an opportunity to consider ourselves. Every time a pastor fails morally, I consider myself. And I think, how do I make sure that my family doesn't end up there? We have that conversation with the staff. How do we make sure we don't end up there? And that's not to, uh, to, to bag on that pastor, but uh, the Bible talks about how there'll be that, that salt underfoot to henceforth to be trodden underfoot. That, that, there's a word picture there that someone's gonna tread over that and learn from their example, but we ought to consider ourselves. We ought to walk in the spirit. We ought not walk after the flesh because there's a lot on the line. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed.